The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. It's uh, John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned, or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for these people that you have brought into this place. And would they just receive from you exactly what you need them to hear this morning? Would we leave this place changed and transformed by you? However you will for that to happen, God, would we not leave the same? And God, would you just bless Pastor Randall as he preaches the word this morning, that every word that comes from his lips is from you, and that it would would equip us uh, to do your work throughout the week. So we pray these things in your name, Lord. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Stephen. Appreciate it, buddy. All right. Well, we're in this new series, All Things New. And we started last week in this series. And uh, our text this morning is John 9, uh, 1 through 12. So thank you, Stephen, for reading that. Um, And the message this morning is called New Eyes. You know, new eyes. Having new eyes, new vision uh, for what God's doing. And In this text, the disciples asked Jesus a really important question. Uh, I think this is a very relevant question for us today, uh, 15 years after 9-11. Can you believe it's been 15 years? You know, I remember uh, when when it happened, when the the airplane hit the the World Trade Center. I was was a um, freshman in college. And I remember when it happened, and it was just like so surreal in that moment. I think anybody who... Uh, you would ask that was, you know, cognizant of like, okay, this is what's happening right now. Uh, they remember where they're at during that time. And uh, I think, again, it's very relevant to what we're talking about today uh, because the root of the question that the disciples are asking is, why? Why? Why is there suffering in the world? Why do bad things happen? Why is this man blind? Why doesn't God fix the mess already? See, that, that's a question that I think 
All of us have asked at some point or another. It's the senselessness of violence, accidents, sickness, and pain that we all see and feel. And so how do you view the world? How do you view the world? It was 2008, and uh, right up the street here, there was an F-18 that crashed into one of the homes right up here off Governor. Uh, It was a man named uh, Dong Yoon Yoon, and he lost his wife, two children, a two-month-old and a 15-month-old, and his mother-in-law when that F-18 jet slammed into the family's house. And I remember watching his response on the national news. I didn't live here at the time, but I remember watching the national news and his response, and it floored me. Here's what he said. Please pray for the pilot not to suffer from this accident. He's one of the treasures for our country. I don't blame him. I don't have any hard feelings. I know he did everything he could. I know there are many people who have experienced more terrible things. But please, tell me how to do it. I don't know what to do. The response from me, and and many of us, when we hear that, it's just off the grid. It's off the grid. He had just lost his family. And it's a viewpoint while suffering that many of us rarely see. What was the difference with him? Well, one of the things that we learned about him was that he was a Christian. He's a believer in God. And his pastor had helped him and counseled him through the, the grief and the suffering that he was facing that day. But he asked a really important question. What do I do? What do I do? See, what what category do you fall into when you see suffering in this world? Do you fall into the category of of optimists and and everything's great and everything's awesome and and everything has this silver lining and there's a lot of cliches that start to come out of our mouth like, well, you know, God's still working in the midst of that and, and... and we really don't have many answers other than the, the cliches of, well, um, God won't give you more than you can handle. Which I want to tell you, that's not in the Bible. I've actually experienced a lot more than I could handle. But by his grace, he gets us through. Some of us fall into that optimist category. And what, what happens is we're so optimistic that we're optimistic about things that we shouldn't be. Right, there's hurt, there's pain in this world, and we, we say, well, you should just be optimistic about it. But that, that, that's not the way that the Bible teaches us. Another category is pessimist. Well, everything is terrible, it's negative, it's, it's Debbie Downer, right? Womp, womp. Just hanging out with Debbie Downer all the time. And, and, and there's, there's realities of, okay, there, there's things that, that are really negative and bad, but, but you get so wrapped up in that mindset that everything is terrible, Everything is wrong. Everything is bad. It's just negative, 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 negative. What I believe today is that Jesus gives us a gospel third way. 
A third way that you can look at the world where you don't get so wrapped up in optimism that you're, you're, you're not in reality and, and you're not wrapped up so much in pessimism that you're so negative, but that you can be realistic. You can be realistic. See, the Bible, I believe, has the most honest, well-rounded, even raw perspective of the world and of suffering that I've ever come across. See, it's, it's verses like Psalm 102 where it says, For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread because of my loud groaning. My bones cling to my flesh, for I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are even, or, or like an evening shadow. I wither like grass. See, th- these are raw emotions of someone who is struggling with life and the suffering in this world. What he talks about in this verse is loneliness, pain, depression, angst, even questioning God, are you there? Are you there? See, the optimist says, well, you can't talk like that. You can't be like that. You always got to be optimistic. But what we see in the Bible is that people are real. And God placed those things in there so that we can be honest about life. Because what he says is not to take it to this place of optimism that's not real or to pessimism, but to him. We take it to him. We pray it out. We say, God, okay, this is what I see. This is what's going on in our world. See, why do we suffer? Well, what we talked about last week is there is a narrative that we see through Scripture, and it's this. It's that creation was good, right? God created all things. He created it good, and its intention and purposes were good. But then the fall happened, and so we rebelled against God. We chose our own way. We said, God, we don't want you. And so we, we wanted to make ourselves like God. So we say, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure this out on my own. And what happened is the, the world is the way it is now. It's fallen, it's broken, it's messy. But the story isn't over there because next is the redemption. And what we see is that Jesus comes into the world and he says, I want to redeem things that are broken. I'm going to put them back together. And then ultimately there's the restoration. And that restoration is that God is going to make all things new. This world, the way that it is. See, we don't get saved into hanging out in the clouds someday, right? Playing a harp, you're like, oh, heaven, all that stuff. No, it says, I'm gonna make this whole world new. Make all things new the way it was intended to be. See, isn't that a world that you look forward to and say, man, that's what I want, where there is no more suffering, there is no more pain, there are no more tears, See, how did this all happen? Well, Oz Guinness says, through our disobedience to God, we've been alienated from God and his presence. So now we live east of Eden. We are away um, from the home we were given to live in. We are all now prodigals. And we are all in a far country, yet however far away we go, there's always a longing for a home that will not go away. We have been cut off. So there is always a homesickness 
that no other home can satisfy, a desire that no other satisfaction can fulfill, a yearning that can be assuaged nowhere else, and a restlessness that finds no rest in any other stopping place. You see, do you you feel that restlessness that's inside of you that says the world is not the way it should be? Right, as they looked at this man, they say, well, why did this happen to him? Why is it this guy? Why is he suffering? Why is he begging? Today, we see that Jesus is making all things new. And so through it all, we need new eyes. We need new eyes. And so this text points us to two common views of suffering in our world and then offers us our only hope. Two common views our only hope. And so the three ways to view the world are, are, are this. First, it's number one, an unbiblical view of God. The second is an unhealthy view of guilt. And third is the redemptive work of Jesus. The redemptive work of Jesus. So an unbiblical view of God, an unhealthy view of guilt, and the redemptive work of Jesus. And so starting out first, it's, it's an unbiblical view of God. Look at, look at, look at verse two. They say, well, um, disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Who sinned? And so the question is, is wrapped up in this. Who is God punishing? Like, like, why is he punishing this guy? That was their viewpoint of God. Like, okay, if he's suffering, God has to be punishing this guy because he had to have done something to receive this. And so some of the uh, scholars, you know, uh, Pharisees and all the, the, the teachers of the law back then would, would have deciphered. And they said, well, maybe this man sinned in the womb. And so that's why he's blind. That, that was their thought process, right? Because they say, well, there's, because of sin, there's fallenness and there's brokenness. And so this guy had to have done something to do this. But I want to say this, that Christianity is not karma, it's not karma. I was driving recently and I saw a car sticker um, and it said on there, I saw that dash karma. And I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> oops. That's not the God of the Bible. It's not, Ooh, I saw that, I'm gonna get you later. You're gonna pay for that. If that was the God of the Bible, we wouldn't be here. (laughs) We would have been gone a long time ago if he saw that and he was coming at us. But uh, what we see is that Christianity is not karma. See, karma says you get what you deserve. What goes around comes around, but it's missing something. God says, I will give you what you don't deserve. If it wasn't for me, life would be far worse. Karma is not grace. See, that's what differentiates Christianity from every other religion in the world is that God offers grace, undeserved love, favor, affection towards us. And so first we have to have a right mindset of who God is. He's a God of all grace, as it says in 1 Peter chapter five. Right, the God of all grace. And so karma is ready to say, got you. Right, like got him. Got that guy, got him, got him, got him. Like, got him. That is what karma is ready to say. But God is saying, no. 
That's not how I operate. Because again, if it were, we would not be here. There's something that God gives us every day called common grace. Common grace. And so, again, like every person, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian or anything, there's a common grace that God has given us life today, that God has given us breath, that we have the same sun that that rises on the men who believe in God and the women who believe in God and those who don't. Common grace. But then God takes it a step further and says, I don't want you to just experience this world and the brokenness. I want to clean up the mess in your life. I offer you my grace to clean up the mess. See, what does Jesus think when he sees suffering? What does Jesus see? He sees a man right here who is a part of, he's experiencing a part of the fall, but he's saying that's not the way it was intended to be. See, as God sees suffering, this is his heart. He says it in Ezekiel 18, 23. Do you think I take any pleasure in the death of wicked men and women? Isn't it my pleasure that they turn around no longer living wrong, but living right, really living? Right, like that's God's heart. As he looks at the world, he says, that, that, that's not the intention. That's not the way I created you to be. I'm calling you, beckoning you to a new life. God's heart is for healing and restoration. Do you see God in this verse grieving over prodigals, the lost, not rejoicing over their suffering? Right, like as I read that statement, like I saw that, it's like almost this rejoicing, like, oh, well, you're gonna get it. You're gonna pay for that. That's not the God of the Bible. But instead, his desire is to make all things new. That's why he sent his son, Jesus. Right? Because Jesus is here and, he, and he's in the process of seeing and then making all things new. Yet we still try to blame God for suffering. Um, I have to say this. God is not the cause of sin and evil in this world. He's not. Right? He, he didn't cause that. We did. But he comes in and puts it back together. He puts the brokenness back together. He's not the cause. And, and, and so he works through the mess. And uh, we see that the fall affected everything in this world. And so it, it's, it's not God's fault. It's not on him. But the second point is it, it's, it's an unhealthy view of guilt. So they had an unbiblical view of God. They have an unhealthy view of guilt. And so next is in this question, they say, well, it's got to be this man or his parents. This man or his parents that he was born blind. Um, okay, whose fault is it? Whose fault is it? At this point, the disciples are ready to point the finger. Who was it? Who's guilty? Here's the truth. Now, they are pointing to a particular brokenness and sin. They say, okay, well, it has to be something that he did. Somebody did something. There's a particular sin. Not sin in general, but sin particular. That's the problem here. 
right? Like sin and brokenness in our world is because of sin general. Like we live in a messed up world. But what they're saying is it's this dude's fault. There's somebody at fault here. Somebody's guilty of something. It's sin in particular that caused this. This is very much like Job's friends in the book of Job. I don't know if you know Job's story, but Job, um, man of God, loved, loved God, and uh, everything was ripped away from him. Lost his family, lost everything he had. And his friends come up to him and they say, well, Job, um, what'd you do? What did, what, what'd you do? God must be punishing you for this. He's like, I haven't done anything. And they didn't believe him. See, now, there is a, there is a healthy guilt, right? Like, sometimes we, we feel guilty because sometimes we are guilty of sin, right? But in that case with, with uh, Job, it was like he, he didn't do anything in particular. Like, okay, this is why God is bringing this on me. Uh, psychology Today even says appropriate guilt can function as social glue. So the even people who aren't believers say, yeah, well, like, guilt can function as a, as a good thing. Like, it will spur someone on to, to, to make uh, right what was wrong. But this view that the disciples had is not a healthy type of view of guilt. See, what Job's friends were doing was they were heaping guilt upon him. They're heaping guilt upon is like, you should be ashamed of yourself. And there was nothing to, to behind it. And, and so it's the same thing that some of you feel on a daily basis. It's the same thing when you feel like, oh man, either be you feel like you're still being you're guilty because your parents are heaping it on you siblings maybe, not good enough, friends. Uh, it just keeps being heaped upon you and, and teammates, coworkers. You, you, you don't know, it's just like this guilt dump. Like you feel terrible about yourself. And, and you start looking around, you're like, well, I don't know why. What this is attached to is an unhealthy view of guilt This is what the disciples are going down. They're going down this path of this, like, okay, who is it? This is a very narrow-minded view of suffering and not helpful to people who are truly hurting. You know, the way we do it as Christians, we say, well, you just don't have enough faith or you're not doing enough. You start guilt-tripping people. It's not the way of Jesus. See, on this verse, uh, commentator D.A. Carson says, once theologians move from generalizing statements about the origin of the human race's maladies to tight connections between the sins and the suffering of an individual, they go beyond the biblical evidence, whether from the Old Testament or the New, that a specific illness or experience of suffering can be the direct consequence of a specific sin Few can deny. So we saw that earlier, right? Like there was a guy who Jesus healed earlier who he did something that caused his ailment. Like we can't deny that. There's certain things that we can do that can cause that. But that it is invariably so, numerous biblical texts flatly deny. 
In this instant, the disciples presuppose the tightest possible connection. Okay, this guy's a sinner, so he definitely has to have done something that caused him to be blind. That's not how the Bible works. It is an unhealthy guilt that they're heaping on this man. They don't even know him. See, we don't deny the cause and effect of sin. There are consequences, but we don't believe that all suffering is connected to someone's particular sin. There are two dead-end paths that this view on suffering leads to. The first one is, everything is my fault. So some of you feel that. We feel like, well, everything's my fault. Nothing good will ever happen for me. Woe is me because everything is my fault. And so that's what this, they, they were trying to do, like with this man. Like, okay, okay, he's, he's, it's got to be him. It's got to be this man. Everything's his fault. Or everything is someone else's fault. You ever hear that? Like, oh, well, all bad things is because of that person. That person did something to me, and, and there's no way that I could ever get past it. And they're just heaping guilt on that person because they're saying, I can't get past this. Again, it's an unhealthy view of, of guilt. Um, I don't know if you guys ever used to watch The Office, but there's a guy on The Office named Toby Flenderson. And uh, Michael Scott would always look at Toby Flenderson, and he hated Toby Flenderson. He blamed him for everything. Everything was Toby's fault. You know, everything is his fault. He's terrible. Everything was not Toby's fault. But in his mind, everything was Toby's fault. And he heaped guilt on Toby all the time. Who's your Toby? Right, who's, that, who's that person that you're just continually heaping guilt on them and say, oh, that person, that person, that person. That's why I am the way I am. I want to say this. No one should have that kind of power over your life. No one should have that kind of power over your life. And so what do we need Unbiblical view of God, unhealthy view of guilt. Third is we need the redemptive work of Jesus. Redemptive work of Jesus. Uh, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. Right, and so Jesus is saying, okay, that because of a fallen, broken world, I'm going to show you what it was meant to look like. I'm gonna show you what it was meant to be. I'm going to display the work of God and how God puts all things together. God puts the broken pieces back where they were supposed to be. And so, verses six through seven, here's what happens. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Jesus heals this man. You know, and he goes down to the dirt and, and he takes the thing that, right, we, we were created with. That's the difference between you and all the rest of creation is God said, I'm gonna reach down into the dirt, the dust, and I'm gonna make man. And so just as Jesus really from the beginning did that in the garden, he's now doing it in this man's life. He's taking the dirt and he's saying, I, 
you know, I'm going to take this and make all things new. And I'm going to put it in. And you're like, that's kind of gross, right? Like, I spit in it. Like, that's it's a little different. It's not what the doctor did last week. What we don't understand and what seems like that doesn't make sense, Jesus uses that to make sense. And he does that in this man's life. See, healing does not always equal faith, but the ultimate goal of seeing is that the man would not only see physically, but spiritually. Spiritually. Like that, that was the end goal of why Jesus wanted to heal this man. Because what it points to, not only is that we're, that this man was physically blind, but that there's a spiritual blindness in all of us. It's a spiritual blindness. And so when we look at suffering in this world, when we see things, we, we, don't, we don't really see the spiritual. We see a lot of the physical, like that's really messed up. And it is. But that God could use the common everyday things to bring healing to this world. That's what he wants us to see. That there are things that, are, that, that at the moment we didn't see before that he can use to bring healing in people's lives. I remember this young boy, um, I was a youth pastor for eight years, and I remember this young boy at the beginning of the ministry, he came in and he was fighting cancer. And it was the saddest thing. And the thing, like for him, he took the very like pessimistic route. Like anybody tried to talk to him, he just like didn't want to hear it and, and just very pessimistic about life, about everything. And uh, I found out he finally got healed. Like he was healed from this cancer that had taken out a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of children, right? He ended up healing from it. And, and back then he had like this limp and all kinds of things were going on with him. And uh, I just checked on him recently. And he's, he's doing really good. He's getting around physically, he's fine. I mean, it, it, if you were to look at him, you'd say, well, I, I never knew that he had that. But here's the thing that I noticed is he didn't have any type of love for God. God wasn't even on the radar for him. And that's what made me the saddest thing because my hope is that at some point, because that, that, that healing he has is temporary. We know that, right? All, all physical healing is temporary, but, but there's an eternal healing that God wants to bring. And my hope is that he receives the eternal healing because that's what Jesus, that's why Jesus heals. is so that we would understand that there's a spiritual blindness that we all have and he wants to give sight that's going to last. Because that's a part of making all things new. See, my hope is he has an eternal lasting healing that goes beyond the healing that he's experienced physically. And so what are some takeaways that we can uh, look at this text and say, okay, that, that's something I can take away for today. Um, the first one is this. I'm going to give you four. God gives us a new perspective on suffering. He gives us a new perspective on suffering. Let's be honest. Christians are known for pat answers and cliches. And most of the time, they're not helpful. They're not helpful. 
We should have the most nuanced, humble, compassionate, ready-to-listen responses when it comes to suffering. Why? Because we serve a God who suffered. He can relate. He's real. Doesn't just brush suffering under the rug, but looks it in the eye. Look, look at right here. That's what my friend said from Teen Child. He's like, Jesus looks the need in the eye. He looked at this man and he didn't just walk away. See, let's be honest. Suffering makes us uncomfortable. When people are going through suffering, even people that we know and love, it makes us uncomfortable. And some of us, we run from it. We don't run towards it. We run away from it because we don't know how to handle it. We don't know what to do. But what, what we see in Jesus is that Jesus runs towards it and faces the suffering and, and sits there and listens and heals. Now, we know we can't heal. I can't heal anybody, but Jesus can. And so how are we taking this to Jesus and seeing how he handles the suffering in our world? And so it gives us a new perspective. You know, a good resource to pick up is a book by Oz Guinness called Fool's Talk. And uh, what he talks about in it is he says, you know, a lot of us don't know how to respond to the, the challenges of the world. And so, again, we resort to these pat, cliche answers. He says, you got to first trust the Holy Spirit, and you got to be more uh, nuanced in, in how to handle some of these things. And so, guys, here's the thing. The Bible is not afraid of our questions, <laughs> It's not afraid of our um, wonderings and, and saying, okay, what's this mean and what's that mean? Like, it's not afraid of that. It stood the test of time. We're here talking about it right now. And so God gives us a new perspective on suffering. And so let's lean into that so that we can help people who are suffering. And also be able to see things the way that God wants us to see it when we're going through it. Because you will. I will. Um, because the next point is this. God uses suffering to make us more like Jesus. In the kingdom of God, nothing is wasted. So Jesus takes the very thing that everybody's stepping on, the dirt, and uses it to heal this man. Nothing's wasted with God. See, and there's some examples of that. I mean, look at Joseph in the Old Testament. You've got, uh, if it were not for suffering, right, this you think about Joseph. Joseph is a, is, a, is a little boy running around with the Technicolor dream coat. Everybody's like, whoa, this cool coat. Like he, he's got this from his dad. And so he was obviously the favored child. Plus he's got this dream where he says, okay, uh, hey brothers, I'm actually going to be in charge of you guys. He's the youngest. He's coming in. He's, he's so joyful about it. Like, hey, I'm going to be in charge. And what happens is he gets sold into slavery by his brothers. But in the end, it was his brothers who did come to him after he'd been through the gamut of suffering. And God had taught him a lesson. He says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. What does he mean by that? Because at this point, when his brothers came to him, God knew that the soul cancer that he had that would have grown in his heart and would have kept him this arrogant, prideful, spoiled little boy could only come out through the suffering that he's going to experience. 
You're like, well, why am I going through this difficulty? Why am I going through this hard time right now? I just want you to know nothing is wasted with God. And he can take the most difficult, hard thing that you're going through and use that for good. As a believer, right? I'm talking right now about believers, believers in Christ. He can use that for your good because he's making you more into the image of his son, Jesus. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this. He says, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. That's hard. But it's seeing that the suffering makes us more like Jesus. The next is God equips us for his work. Um, In verse four, uh, Jesus talks about this this dark time. He says, I'm the light right now, but the the darkness is gonna come and and I'm gonna be taken away and there is no work that's gonna happen. Uh, Jesus is looking forward to uh, really his death and that the disciples are gonna be in despair and they're gonna scatter. There's gonna be some suffering that's gonna come. And he says, work's not gonna get done. But what we know is, Jesus says, again, in verse four, he says, we must work the works of him who sent me. So he says, we must work. What he's doing is he's inviting you and me into his work. He's saying, yeah, like there was gonna be a time where I wasn't gonna be here. But then when Jesus rose from the dead, he eventually sends the Holy Spirit and he sends it into our hearts and our lives. He says, now you are invited to the work of helping people be restored to Christ. Be a part of the restoration process. Be a part of making all things new. When you become a Christian, you start to feel things and you start to bind yourself to people that you otherwise wouldn't have. You do that. And it hurts. And in the process, your heart becomes more of a heart. And so Jesus is at work in us and he's equipping you to become more like him so that you can do the things that Jesus did. Because that's why he says, he said, there will be greater works that will happen once I leave. What does he mean by that? That he's sending his Holy Spirit into our lives as believers to go do the works that he was doing. Right? And that's why we're, we say we're not a church here just to come on Sunday morning, but we are a sent church out of the world to go be a part of this. Jesus invites you into his work. And then the last one is, God asks for obedience even if it doesn't make sense. Let's be honest. This story doesn't make sense, right? Like, okay, Jesus goes, he sees this guy, he picks up the dirt, he makes it into mud, he puts it on the guy's eyes, and he tells the guy, okay, go to this pool and wash doesn't make sense. But the guy obeyed him. Um, Here's the thing. It got a little darker before the light came into his life. Sometimes when you're obedient to Christ, there's going to be things that you're asked to do that don't make sense. You're like, that's really fuzzy. That doesn't make sense. I don't know if I can do that. Um, it, It just isn't. But God says, obey. Obey me. Do this, step into this. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna show you and I'm gonna give you sight that you didn't have before. You're gonna have new vision. You're gonna have new, new eyes. 
Because again, what happens to this guy is they're like, I don't think this is the same guy. They grew up seeing him as a blind beggar because he was born blind. And they're like, he kind of looks like the guy, but I don't know if that's him. He's like, it's me. When you start obeying Jesus in this way that doesn't make sense and you start stepping into it, you're going to look unrecognizable to some people that knew you before. Like, is that the same guy? Is that the person I knew before? They're doing something. God has done something in their life that it just doesn't make sense. People won't recognize you after you've been with Jesus, right? We saw that in, in the book of Acts. Like, oh, why, how can these uneducated people do what they're doing? Well, they were with Jesus. They were hanging out with Jesus. That's why they could do it. Jesus does that. But he asks you to be obedient to him. Um, on May 21st, 2008, you heard about this, but Christian singer uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman, his son, was driving and accidentally struck his adopted sister, Maria, with an SUV in their driveway. Um, it ended up killing her. And uh, in 2015, the, the Chapmans, uh, they hosted at their home 80 adopted children and their families, children adopted because of programs created in Maria's memory. Uh, the mom, Mary Beth Chapman, said this. She said, these are 80 kids who probably would not have survived. They have families who love and care and provide for them. But I would really love for it to have happened another way. He said, I'm Maria's mom and I'm Will Franklin's mom. It's hard to reconcile. Now, Will is in this band called Colony House. And uh, he's the drummer, but his brother said, I want to write a song about what he's been through. And here's the lyrics of the song, Won't Give Up. Too many dreams I don't want to dream. Too many nights alone where I can't sleep. I've got the devil on my back trying to take home from me. But I see Jesus out in front. He's reaching back for the lonely. Reaching back because he loves me. I take his hand because she loved me. No, I won't give up now. That's real. That's someone who's suffered. And the only way that they can keep moving forward is because Jesus is on the other side. Grabbing the hand. And actually speaking something that was true. That little girl was running towards him in that car because she did love him. But you know, the enemy wants to make you think otherwise. See, the only way we can get through this, this suffering in this world, is seeing the suffering servant. And I want to end with this. Isaiah 52, 14 through 15 says this, as many were astonished at you, 
His appearance was so marred beyond human resemblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him for that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. As crazy as this world can be, Life will start to become clearer when you see it through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. See, Isaiah didn't know that at this time when he wrote this. But it's seeing it through a lens of the gospel. It's seeing it through a lens of Christ that the greatest suffering in this world as Jesus was on the cross and we looked at it and we said there's no way that any good can come from that. As we look through that lens, we see the greatest work that God has ever done in this world. The suffering servant can take suffering and through it, in the process, make all things new. And so may we have new eyes because of what Jesus has done. Let's pray. Jesus, the only way that we can see things differently is because of you. All I see around me is brokenness and hurt and pain. And I can fall into the category of being a pessimist. But Lord, I just pray that you help us to see the gospel third way. That God, in our brokenness and our pain, it's not because of you. It's because everything is broken. Because of the fall. God, we're a part of that. We've rebelled against you. Lord, turn us back towards you. Instead of causing more chaos and more hurt in this world, help us to be those who are the hands and feet of Jesus, who are peacemakers in the midst of the chaos and the mess and all the suffering that is in this world. Help us to take people by the hand and look them in the eye and be able to point them to Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.